0: Head over to TheInforium.com slash Nebula to sign up now. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Inforium, the world's greatest piece of media ever created by human hands. I just get more and more humble every single time we do an episode, Martin. Yeah, let me tell you, this is a great time to be building up the <laughs> reputation. It's a very great time. Yes, uh, so yes, welcome back to The Inforium, my podcast with my good friend, Martin Bamey. Uh, today. We got some sad news to break to you guys. We're going to end the podcast uh, three episodes from now. So you get three more, but we have come to the decision. Well, this this Uh, is one of them. Yeah, I guess I guess this is one of them, but inspired partly by the last episode we did and the conversation we had around fragmentation and wanting to commit to, you know, fewer projects and be able to commit more intensely to each of them. Uh, we've realized that you know this podcast is is one thing that adds fragmentation to our lives, and we've been doing it for like eight years. So uh, after this next three episodes, we're going to let the Inforium ride off into the sunset like a wild stallion.
1: Yeah, only the
0: wildest. Only the wildest. <laughs> but we still have three great episodes coming your way. We haven't planned out. We wanted to end on a cool number, and I think 25 is a pretty cool number. 23 is not that cool. No. So. But yeah, um we're going to get into the content of this episode, but before we get into it, I do I do just want to say to everyone who's been sticking with us for however long you've been here, some people I think have been here for nearly 8 years, you know, thank you for listening. This has been an awesome experience and uh you know, I don't even really think of it as us ending what we're doing. It's just kind of shifting into different forms uh you know and you realize this martin one of the big things we we realize is if you're constantly producing media there's not a whole lot of time to have a ton of life experience yeah. and so the best way i can create content is either to you know reduce the amount of things that i'm doing so i can go and learn things or do research that i can pre- that i can present to people to help them improve their own lives and i think in that context video is a better medium it gives me i can i can craft every minute more thoroughly and that's where my excitement lies
1: yeah so this is about like uh usually we want to have something we want to actually talk about we're having a fun conversation we're interested in it and we're running out of life to i don't want to be like 40 (laughs) years old on this podcast telling the same stories yeah yeah and i mean like i'm definitely going out and having stories but
0: i don't know i don't always want to try to shift them into some sort of long conversation
1: Yeah, that's like that's content. It, it is a it is a little stressful to try to make uh, one's thoughts and findings in life publicly interesting mm-hmm. yeah I mean
0: I have a lot of things I'm excited to do but I want to go do them lots of cool stuff uh, but another interesting thing that happened as of late and actually that I think this kind of coincides with with us deciding to do this is uh, we're both 30 now I think this may be the first episode that we've recorded since I turned 30. I'm not entirely sure about that. I don't remember when we recorded the last one. But yes, I'm now 30. You've been 30 for 500 years. I don't know how long it's been. Six months? You know, a handful of months. Long enough. So this is like a a natural reflection point, a natural point. Uh, where it comes time to think, like, you know, what do we want to be doing going forward? I know you just moved to a new city. You've been trying to make a lot of changes. Um, it's also a good time to look back. And today we are going to do that uh, and talk about some regrets and mistakes that we made during our 20s. I actually wrote a video on this, and uh, the video will be live by the time this episode goes live. So think of this as the extended discussion for my regrets.
1: Plus, you also get Martin's regrets. Everybody's always wanted to know my regrets. That's actually <laughs> the greatest thing that uh, we need in the world right now.
0: Well, I'm always interested to learn because I I want to know like okay what what decisions did people I look up to and follow make and you know for the ones that didn't turn out well what that what had, what would they have
1: done? Yeah, well, and so it's I good. can know it's what timed. I really have been thinking about all of this so much because it's just now that I'm here. I do love the location, but I really want to do something drastic to change my daily life. I want to. Mm-hmm. Do something that changes the pattern that I've yes. been. Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And you know, for people who are are looking for more continued collaboration between us, they're definitely going to get it. Uh, one thing that we d- decided to do last night was really double down on getting back into a schedule for the main YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, I have committed to a real and very potentially uh, devastating deadline consequence. <laughs> yeah. So it, the- it, I'm actually going back to my roots. When I started my YouTube channel, I used this little tool called Beeminder, which people who've listened to the show probably know about, uh, to ensure that I would publish a video per week. And at some point, I think it was like three years after I started doing that for the blog and the podcast and the YouTube channel, I stopped doing it for some reason. Um, And then I kind of like got a de facto replacement for it in adding sponsors to the channel. But the thing about sponsors is they don't actually care when the videos go live, as long as they go live, like roughly within the month they were booked. So what this ends up doing to my creative brain that works on deadlines is pushes every video to the
1: end of the month. (laughs) Yeah, and I I want to do what they can. Like anything you can get away with, that's the level that that like you end up at by default. I know. I've
0: always been like this too. I was the guy like in the cafeteria at 6 a.m. doing my calculus homework. Got it done, but it's always like down to the wire. And there's there's just not a way for me to convince myself to work differently. So I need to actually introduce real deadlines. Um, So that's what we have now. And you can look forward to a brand new video on the Thomas Frank channel every week, plus videos on Thomas Frank Explains if you're into Notion tutorials and templates and builds and projects there. Yeah, you nerds. You nerds. Yeah, I mean, the Thomas Frank Explains channel has purposely got a vague name so we can go forward in the future, possibly doing other things. But right now, my mission is to create the world's best platform for teaching you how to use Notion, on that channel because that's where my interest lies and we've been able to do a lot of cool stuff with it so anyway we're going to get into um, some regrets that we have looking back on our 20s I've got four of them I don't know how many you have I established four (laughs) I only have four only four regrets no I, I only I only wrote four on my list because I wanted to have a decent amount of time to discuss each one I certainly have other regrets. Uh, Some of my regrets are private. These are the ones that I am willing to talk about in public. And I've got four that I think I can, you know, get into. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and start with the one that I am sitting in at this very moment.
1: (laughs) You hate chairs? I regret.
0: Yeah. I regret sitting in chairs. Definitely regret sitting in a chair. Well, you know what? don't get me going on chairs. Oh, no. Here we go.
1: I've accidentally. I, regret, I don't know why I do this. I know you're I Tom. This is, is regret
0: 0.5. I regret buying this fancy office chair because I've learned that a normal office chair, which costs like one sixth the price, is just as good as long as you're active. Oh, yeah, I'm and sitting you in a IKEA out.
1: chair. Yep. Uh, I, I regret ignoring how easily I can get Tom on a tangent. <laughs> so, yeah, you really can. That's my bad. Anyway, no, the, the big regret number
0: one is the house that I bought. I regret not buying a house, but buying a house where I bought my house and prioritizing the size of the house over the walkability of my neighborhood. Uh, So last year, I think we've talked about this. We had a whole house buying episode. My fiance and I started looking for houses at the insistence of my friend Charles uh, because the interest rates were so good and we spent years saving up for a down payment. so we start looking and I had some criteria established over time. But as we looked and got excited about houses and then you know our priorities started shifting and also we got outbid for quite a few houses or they fell through for whatever reason, uh, we ended up buying the house that we're in right now, which is quite a ways away from downtown, like 20 miles, yeah. at least by bike. I don't know what it is by car, um, which means that we moved out to the Burbs. And I think, I think the pandemic did a number on how much I prioritized walkability because I've always been the guy who loves to be able to walk or bike to a coffee shop or go to the grocery store real quick on foot. And because everything was closed for a year, I basically forgot what that was even like And also got really excited about like the prospect of building a big YouTube studio and being able to do cool things. So I think that definitely worked my perception. But, you know, long story short, we ended up buying in a neighborhood that's not very walkable. It's a very pretty neighborhood. But, you know, if I want to go like walk somewhere, there's just not really a place to go walk to. So everything is very car centric. And when I had made lists of things that I kind of prioritized for living in like houses, even when choosing rentals in the past, I always had walkability on there. So I guess the regret that I have is letting the fact that I was inside for a year and also letting the excitement that I had for the space and the stuff sort of supersede that priority, which I now realize is a very, very high up on my list priority. Um, and, and and I guess it's like an extra regret because even though we couldn't afford like the super trendy neighborhoods that are really close to the downtown area where we would love to live, there were definitely areas where we could have bought and we could have sacrificed a bit on space. But we could have gotten into a neighborhood where it was like more walkable and there were things to go to.
1: So Anna and I both share this. Well that that's good. It's good that uh, you both share that regret so that mm-hmm. that's just convenient for moving. But yeah, sometimes you trip, you fall, you buy a house in the suburbs. <laughs> Whoops, I guess. And yeah. it's it's so funny cuz like I I definitely understand all the same things the walkability because that's I actually did end up making that decision moving here cuz I chose mm-hmm. a one bedroom, cut down on space by about 50%. Yeah. And it's uh worked so far it's a little cluttered i will say that that does annoy me but Mm -hmm. yeah the walkability is such a big going without a car for a week or two just straight and not even you get into it and actually when i get in my car now it's been so long that it smells like a new car again really well i also i don't don't bring you know i don't bring food in the car i don't smoke i don't like there's no reason that it would change its scent so I'll get in after a while and I'm not used to it. It smells like a new car all over again. That's that's a nice little side benefit of not
0: driving very often.
1: Yeah, but it, it's just super, super nice to have a walkable thing. Do you have any idea uh, when you might, I don't know. I don't uh, know. What, what does one do with a, I, I mean, you can't just hmm. like hit a button, right? That just well, the nice thing. houses with somebody. So,
0: so there are some considerations to make here. The nice thing is that I do own the house. Yeah. So I have like a decent amount of control over what I could do. There are also some, some limitations. It would be trivially easy to sell this house now if I wanted to, probably okay. even make a profit on it. But there's like a golden handcuff situation with that because if you buy a house, this is good information for people Uh, who are considering to buy a house. If you buy a house, you need to live in it for at least two years. Live in it, not own it, live in it, uh, for it to to be considered your primary residence. And if you sell your primary residence, then I believe it is up to $250,000 in profit is tax-free. Really? Yes. But, so if I were to sell this house now, I've only lived here for tax. eight months. I would have, I would be subject to capital gains tax, and it's. I've only lived here for eight months, so it would be short-term capital gains, which would be my income tax
1: rate. And, and since so, this is your primary residence, it's not like you're trying to cheat some system and sell three billion houses without tax. You just this is actually your primary yes, residence. It you're is just my yes, met the but I have to.
0: Yep, I have to live here for long enough. Interesting. For it to be considered that it makes from sense a that taxation perspective. It. Yep, uh, there's some other rules like you have to live in it for two years and then you have to have lived in it for two out of the past five if you've owned it for a long time. So like if I had a house mm. for 10 years, but I had yeah. lived there for five years, then it wouldn't be considered my primary. So there's all these things. Um, Interesting. I'll tell you what I would do. If, if it was just me, I think I would uh, rent this place out and go live in New York for a year. Cause we've got some, we've got some cool stuff going on at standard we're building out like a new office space. Like it, it seems like an exciting thing. I think that's what I would do, but it's not just me, you know, Anna and I are getting married. So her opinion comes into this. So we may be here for a while. That's fine. Um, the other thing is I bought an e-bike, which I hadn't really considered before. Cause the only times I've ridden an e-bike would have been on like vacations and they're just like, a, I'm like, Oh, it's lazy. You know, it's easy to get around cause there's a motor, but What I realized is I love to bike, I love to walk, the distance is the problem. So if I get an e-bike, if I'm putting in the same amount of effort that I would on a normal bike, it's a speed boost, not necessarily just making it easier. So right now I have a downtown coworking space, which people, I think we've talked about this before so that people know about it. Uh, And I just ride my bike to the coworking space and I get that downtown lifestyle Uh, the only thing I pay is the, the time that it takes to get there, which is about an hour each way. So that's two hours of biking any day I want to do it. Uh, and if I wake up early enough, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like a huge sacrifice in the spring months. It definitely felt like a bit of a squeeze because it would get darker earlier, but right now it's summer, you Mm -hmm. know, I could stay downtown till eight 30 and still have ample daylight to get home. So that's fine. Uh, You know, so so I I think like what I realized is, oh, hey, I regret this. It's very car centric. And then I found not necessarily a perfect solution, but a good solution in getting an e-bike. It makes that kind of neighborhood more acceptable to someone like me who doesn't want to live a car centric lifestyle. So definitely something that I would.
1: Something out of the regret.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I learned some important lessons, but I also learned how to mitigate the regret. And know, I do have to say, like, I really like the house. It's just, I do know now for sure, like, yep, walkable areas are a priority for me. Um, and I, I think they're actually, they're quite important. There's a lot of like uh, study in urban design showing that like walkable areas are safer. They make people happier. There's a couple of good books I'd recommend around this. There's one called Walkable City from Jeff Speck. And then there's one called Strong Towns. Uh, Strong Towns in particular, sort of opened my eyes to the fact that neighborhoods like the one I live in are actually inherently uh, financially unviable long-term because the amount of money it would take to like replace the road outside my house or redo the pipes when their end of life comes, that amount of money it would not even, like my property taxes would not even come close to covering that. So the way that they cover the repairs to older neighborhoods as suburban sprawl keeps expanding out is by, you know, building a ton of new neighborhoods and getting a ton of initial tax revenue from these new neighborhoods when their roads are new and, you know, shiny and don't need a ton of maintenance. So it's basically like a gigantic Ponzi scheme essentially, and I don't know when it all comes crashing down, but like someday this Yay. configuration of city building is not going to be viable anymore. I love houses of cards. It, yeah, it is basically a house cards. So that's another thing I've been thinking about. It's like, well, right now, the value is going up. But, you know, how many years is it until that starts to hit this neighborhood? Probably very long time down the road. But it is a thing to think about. Anyway, so my, my main, my main takeaways there for anybody listening is, you know, if, if you have walkability, if you have, you know, the desire to be able to go to a coffee shop or grocery store, if that's important to you, um, you should probably put it at the top of your list if you can. And, you know, space is nice to have, but it's space is like a very nice thing to have when you have it but it's definitely like more interesting to dream about it i think and there's something about having small space that makes you creative with how to you how you use it yeah i mean remember I how never, creative we had to college. be in in my old apartment when we just had one room for the studio we re- we we re- uh, reconfigured that thing like 5 times yeah, We had some great little tricks and stuff. And now she's like, eh, just chuck that over there. Chuck that over there. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So, you know, I realize like, uh, creativity thrives in limitations. And, um, with the space you have, you, you might be able to do what you want to do. Anywho, that's regret
1: number one for me. What do you got? My dude. I'm going to start it off with some levity, but my first regret is poisoning my joys. There's no levity. I lied. That's not very light. Um, So, basically, when I find something I like, I start to get good at it. Then I start to treat it like a project. Then I start to set expectations that would make the most of it or make it more impressive. And then it stops being fun and I fall off of it. It has been a problem with language, reading, photography. And I just sort of... Once I get going, I take that acceleration to mean I should make this a productive thing and I ruin it for myself. Mm. So... I, I did that a lot. Now, I have been fixing this recently with uh, piano, specifically, and the way I've been doing that is realizing that I don't I don't want to practice piano, and not, at least not in the way where you do scales or practice written. I just don't care about that. I don't want to. That's not, not what it's for. All I want to do is sit down at it, particularly if I'm feeling something, and improvise, and that's it. That's all I want to do, and now I have like, 150, 200 melodies that I want to combine with chip tunes and do all this cool stuff with. That I'm excited about, and um, I I like it because I haven't decided this isn't impressive enough to show my true piano technique or or something. Like a pianist yeah. would not watch this and say, "Wow, how is it?" Like I don't care. I'm not trying to be impressive. I'm just feeling stuff and improvising, and. I'm just trying to find how I naturally do things. I'm trying to think, can I tap into my own motivation without making it something that requires willpower? And Why can't I just uh, find my natural happiness and let mm-hmm. that be enough for a lot of these things? Huh. I ha- so
0: another one of the regrets on my list, I think I'm going to have to merge it in here, is almost the opposite of yours. Ooh. So we're going to do this. We're going to merge it. Uh, The second regret I was going to talk about is I look back on my 20s and I see all of these things I started like you did and like you, I go hard on them. But what it ends up doing is having me drop a lot of other things I was already doing. So I look back at 10 years of living and I'm like, well, I got kind of good at all this, this, this and this. And a lot of them were just fun and that's fine. But definitely with some of them, I wish I would have. Stuck with them more, and I wish I could look back on a greater body of work. And for, specifically for me, it's music. Like I've kind of been on this laissez faire. Like I'll just make music when I want to, and then I release one song per year. And this is this is you true. know what if it was once a month, but I think once a month would require some kind of discipline, would require some kind of pl- uh, practice. So it, it it comes to this question, which we have talked about before. And the question is, you know, do I want to be great or do I want to live just like a normal life where I can just have fun and not worry about, you know, what I'm doing being something that I take further? And for me, I want to take music further than the simple fun hobby Thomas is going to take it naturally. That's I want fair. to look back, you know, when I'm 40 and I want to see a lot more songs. I want to see a lot more progress. I would regret
1: not doing it. Yeah. Well, for me right now, the music is also what I want to focus on, but it's just mm-hmm. sort of happening all by itself. It's uh, I, getting a finished song out. I do actually hope to get maybe one a month done, mm-hmm. but as far as like straight up practicing the skill of piano, that just, it kills my desire to sit down. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I guess uh, I get that. It's just sort of, and and another example outside of music is just I'm cutting back my language expectations of myself. Mm -hmm. I still like the ones I study and and speak to whatever degree I speak them at this point. But I don't know that I actually, like, I thought about it a lot since I was wanting to do videos and I've, you know, done research and written stuff. I don't really, I don't think I want to. I don't, I don't feel it the same anymore. And I could try to force it. Because arguably it could be useful, but mm-hmm. I'm really trying to find and tap into my natural motivation, the things that intrinsically drive me.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, music is a dip problem. Um, mm. So Seth Godin has this book called The Dip we're going to talk about it on the next episode. It's a great book. Actually, there's your homework assignment for next time. Read the dip if you want by Seth Godin. And essentially, he's like, you know, for for anything you start, there's like this period where it's novel. You're excited, you're invested, and the gains are coming easily, often because it's either noob gains or you're buying things. And that's easy to get a lot of perceived uh, progress in very little time with very little effort. And then you hit the dip which is like the slog, the stuff that sucks, it's boring, or it's hard, or you're getting no recognition. you're not getting where you're not, you're making things that uh, just don't match up to your taste. So there's that taste gap there. And the people, the only people who ever get to the point where they become what Godin calls the best in the world, or the best in their world, are the people who push through that dip. Well, there's like a very clear dip in making music for me. And I'm at a point now where I know how to play guitar. I can sing relatively well. uh, I even know how to produce music to a degree. So it's not the fact that I can't play the guitar. It's more the fact that it's very easy and fun to sit down and come up with a random sequence of chords and sing into my phone and get like, you know, like like a rough feeling of a chorus for something that's easy, easy to make stuff up. The dip is taking that, sitting down, actually opening up a project in studio one, which is my DAW and, you know, figuring out like, how do I write this into a real song? Okay. Now I got to track guitars, which is tedious and sometimes boring. I got to mix things. So I got to figure out how do I get through that dip? And I think part of it is uh, setting up some sort of systems for external accountability and discipline, and part of it is going to be removing certain things, either friction or parts of the process. So friction, I you know I should probably set up like a template that I can very quickly open up in my DIW, so I've got all the tracks ready to go. I want one switch that turns on all my looping equipment over here, so I can you know easily write down or you know get like uh, different song parts played out on my guitar. So remove friction there or uh, commit to starting to work with a producer who can do the mixing for me. So that way my brain doesn't go, oh God, you have to write the song and also track it and also mix it. It's like, no, all you got to do is write the song, track it, and then someone else is going to mix it. I think, you know, all these different things are going to enable me to, to publish more things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Mm hmm. I'm just th- I just like I have like three full songs written in my head. Yeah, <laughs> my my big problem is just gonna be actually giving myself free time on the weekends to do it. Mm-hmm. That'll that'll be my my downfall. But yeah,
0: we were talking about this last night too, uh, and I, I realize it's not like the most relatable thing in the world unless you are someone who works for yourself. But like, if we really buckled down and got all of our stuff done quickly we could take a week off every month i think most people who work in like project-based jobs so you know obviously if you you work in a call center you need to be there in the chair for the hours whatever but like you know in my internship i could have gotten that work done in three weeks out of the month and taking a week off you know, the very presence of the weekends themselves is evidence that you don't need to be there every day. So, you know, how far can you push that? Well, there's a different answer for every kind of job out there, but, uh, I don't think the answer is always, Oh, just those two days off. Actually, when I was doing my internship, I I worked four tens. So I had three days off four days on all 10 hours. So, You know, I know for a fact I could be like, let's get everything for the month done in three weeks and we'll schedule our videos to come out on a weekly basis. That's easy. We have robots to work for us. And then we could take a week to make music or travel or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like realistically, I think a lot of jobs could just as easily do all their full-time work in 30 hours, not 40, Mm -hmm. 40 is just, and you know, a lot of people are just messing around on their phones or Reddit and that time's not even being used. It's just that in our case, we are the ones choosing to waste the extra hours for no reason, which feels a little bad and a little confusing. Well, this is why I'm committing to these hard deadlines again.
0: Um, For example, the investing video that I've been wanting to make, every time I sit down and make it, there's no hard deadline on that topic specifically. So I'll go, you know what I should do? I should go read another book. On investing just to make sure my my information Mm -hmm. is extra doubly scientifically backed and at the end of the day a lot of that research doesn't actually matter i i know what i know i know the advice i need to give i have a lot of evidence already so it's always just like this n plus one thing where it's like i don't feel the deadline pressure so you know it's easier than actually writing the script or filming it uh doing one more hour of research yeah research (laughs) just more i'm not ready yet Yep. Not ready. It's so easy to do that. That's actually what like stalls perfectionists out. They always think I'm not ready. I'm not ready to make my first thing. So let me only take one more course. Let me watch one more video. You got to, I don't know, you you got to set up a deadline. You got to set up a thing where it's like you must do this by this date or else, especially if you're the kind of person who always thinks I'm not ready yet. Yeah. that's my problem you know it's not like i'm just sitting around watching anime all day it's very much a uh, it's not ready thing so more deadlines more pressure yeah. <laughs> more pressure in the areas that matter um removal of the things that don't so we don't create a situa- a situation where there's so much pressure that we burn ourselves out oh yeah that's
1: obviously not gonna work yep that's important. But yeah, it just feels like there's no good reason that we shouldn't have time to do like music mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, that's not that big of an ask. Yeah, there's no good reason. Only bad reasons. So let's go cut those bad reasons out. Yeah. Uh
0: so I sort of cheated and added my second regret into yours. That's true. Uh the the I guess the summary that I think we should add there is like there isn't a right answer to this question, because obviously you're, right now you're on the side of, I just want this to be fun. I don't want it to become like a thing with deadlines and expectations. And I'm more on the side of, well, I wanna look back in a few years and see a certain amount of, of progress. So I think I do need to add some expectations. So the real thing is, you know, ask yourself, what do you want out of any pursuit that you start? And then make a decision from there. Hey, let's take a break and pay some bills. This week's episode is sponsored by our friends over at CuriosityStream, which is one of the best places on the internet, nay, the best place on the internet to get your hands on high quality documentaries that can teach you new things. Whether it's science you wanna learn about or history or technology or society, there are thousands of documentaries on CuriosityStream that can boost your knowledge in all of these subjects. And if you're looking for a place to start on CuriosityStream, I've actually got a recommendation for you. There's a series called The Art of the Heist. And heist, films are one of my favorite types of movies oceans 11 is probably my favorite movie or at least the one that i can watch more times than any other without getting bored so this series has my interest captured and i think it's going to be a great place for you to start as well there are also documentaries from people you probably recognize from sigourney weaver from even nick offerman i've got a picture of nick offerman above my fireplace so i've got to mention him but the other great thing about curiosity stream is that when you sign up using our link which is CuriosityStream.com slash InforiumPod, you also get access to Nebula, which is a streaming service that I built along with some of my other educational creator friends. And on Nebula, you're gonna get ad-free versions of both this podcast and lots of other podcasts, but also our video content. If you watch my YouTube videos and you would like to see them ad-free, you're gonna get them on Nebula. Also, you'll get them earlier than they go up on YouTube and with extra bonus content. All of my new videos going up on Nebula have Nebula Plus sections where I put extra bonus content that didn't fit in the YouTube version and that's exclusive to my Nebula subscribers. So if you want to get access to both Curiosity Stream and to Nebula for the best price that you are going to get on the internet, a whopping 26% off, sign up over at CuriosityStream.com slash Nebula. Inforium pod. Once again, curiositystream.com slash Inforium pod to get access to both Curiosity Stream and Nebula. And to be clear that Nebula access is not a free trial. It's not limited. You'll be a Nebula member for as long as you are a Curiosity Stream member. So check it out. And thanks as always to Curiosity Stream for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show. And a big thanks also goes out to our second sponsor this week, which is Hover. Hover is the best place on the internet to get yourself a domain name, which is absolutely something you should do if you haven't already established a personal website for yourself. You can see mine over at thomasjfrank.com. You can see how I've created this online home base that allows people who wanna follow me or potentially work with me, or when I was a student who wanted to hire me to get in touch with me, to see my portfolio, to see my skills. It also allows me to build up expertise and to build my personal brand on the internet. And if you wanna do this as well, which is a great way to endear yourself to employers, to make new connections, to start building some authority in your area, the first thing you need is a domain name. Hover is the best place to get them because not only do you have this insanely fast, friction-free checkout process with no annoying upsells or pop-ups, but you also have access to a ton of different domain extensions. So you can get your .coms, your .mes. These are great for portfolio websites and personal websites, but you can also get fun ones. I have thomas.lol, which redirects to my music stuff. You can get .limo, .ninja. There's a ton of different fun options to choose from. So if you're building maybe like a SaaS app or something, you may be able to get like a, a cool domain extension for that. So, if you want to get 10% off your first purchase and start building your online presence, go over to Hover.com Inforium, and by doing that, you'll also be supporting our show. Once again, 10% off your first purchase at Hover by going over to Hover.com Inforium. That's H-O-V-E-R.com slash Inforium because I sometimes spell things and then don't spell the entire thing, but you know how to get there. Uh, thanks, as always, to Hover for sponsoring this episode, and let's get back into it.
1: Okay, number two, a regret from my 20s is ignoring the potential of steady growth and compound benefits. Um, Essentially, when it comes to skills, projects, money, health, minimalism, really everything, I always feel behind somehow, like I should have been further along. This makes me impatient and anxious. This makes me demand immediate large-scale progress to catch up. Mm. You know, so then the small steps seem pointless and I ignore them because what I, you know, like what I need over here isn't to pick up a few things off my coffee table. That, that is pointless. The thing that matters is coming up with a plan that will quickly and permanently keep everything clean. And obviously I fail to find a perfect plan and I could have spent that time picking up the things off the coffee table. I get overwhelmed. I take no steps. And uh, that that's the end of there are no steps. That's the end of the story. There's no, yeah. there's no satisfying climax or resolution. I just stay overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, that
0: word permanently is very insidious. Cause yeah, I'll feel it, it too. I'm like, I need to, I need to set things up. So it's perfect.
1: Once and for all it's, it's going to be done once and for all. And mm-hmm. I'm going to, and you know, and the idea that I'm impatient to catch up with what past me could have done. That doesn't mean realistically that Present Me can just magically leapfrog an alternate yeah. universe me. Like that's not my starting place. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted to
0: turn this into like a marketable book deal, I think I would say like you need to adopt the day one mindset. Even if you think day one was supposed to be five years ago and now you gotta make all this. Yeah, I catch deserve up. day like, two thousand. No,
1: Today's day okay. one. Uh, I deserve it. I'm worth it. So tomorrow is going to be day 2000 and it's everything. I'm going to fix literally everything. Yeah. So tonight. it's just, it's just Using accepting like, prints. cool, I didn't make all this progress.
0: Now is the time to start it. Day one starts today. Let's start making incremental progress. And In 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and go, cool, glad I was been doing that for 10
1: years. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just like feels lame when there are, five or six things that need to be done incrementally. Yeah, I know. You know but that's uh, life. Ain't and it feels like,
0: uh, you ever heard the, the term like
1: shaving the yak? I love to shave yaks. I'm guessing this you haven't you heard this term.
0: So yak shaving is when you need to do something. But to do that thing, there's another thing you got to do first. And to do that thing, there's yet another thing you got to do first And to do that thing, there's like a whole chain of dependencies. And it all ends up with like, okay, to even start doing this entire chain, I have to go first shave this yak. I don't know where this came from, but it's like it's a pretty common term in like startup culture. You know, don't don't engage in yak shaving. They're making yak scarves. I don't know. But when I play when I play don't starve, I do end up feeling this way sometimes because I'm like, well. I need to go get food, but it's winter. And if I go away from the campfire, I'm going to freeze. So I need a coat. But to get a coat, I need to go shave a yak. So there literally is yak shaving in that. Nice. Anyway, when you perceive this gap between where you should be and where you are right now, there's often like some sort of external reference point you have that crystallizes that gap in your mind. And then you look at that and you're like, well, that's the thing I need to be doing right now. So then the beginner steps do get, they get perceived as yak shaving. And that can be demotivating. So I think part of it is like, is not perceiving it as, okay, I need to do like 5,000 sub steps right now to get to this thing that I need to do right now. It's, nope, what I need to do now
1: is the beginner
0: thing. That's yeah, it.
1: Playing catch up doesn't really... That's not like a real strategy of mm-hmm. of action. That's not going to do anything. Yeah. Unless I just want to feel bad. And maybe what you need to do is just define it as not catch up. It
0: isn't catch up.
1: Yeah. Because that implies just that you are start, behind. Start over. Just say it's a clean slate today. Yep.
0: You're redefining your expectations instead of maintaining the position that you are behind in life and need to get ahead. Even if, even if like, you know, compare to your peers or whatever it is you are it's only helpful in so far as it pushes you to work efficiently but if it makes you feel bad or if it causes you to stall because you see the thing you need to do as like a a gigantic chain that just makes you feel overwhelmed then it's not helpful anymore feeling behind i can't find a secret
1: shortcut through the chain
0: yeah, like look, if I'm if I'm doing a group I'm bike looking. ride with with a bunch of great cyclists and the the pack starts to pull away from me and I use that motivation to really put in extra gas and and get back with the pack, that's useful. You know, trying to catch up with the, the other team. That's useful to me. But if I'm like I feel behind and also overwhelmed because there's too many things to do, I can't even get started and paralyzed, that's not useful. So any feelings that are causing that need to be cut out, yeah. or you know, try to redefine things. Yep, a lot. A lot of my twenties went to that, so uh, let's hope not this time. Yeah, so I mean, do you do you have like a, a plan for for getting past that feeling?
1: Um, let's see what what were the things. I feel like I do, but I haven't quite enacted it um, right now. Ashley is away for a little bit. So my first plan is to merely clean clean things for like the length of... Actually, I did this for a while and it was working. I don't know why I stopped. It was working. Um, just like pick an album or an EP to listen to that I really want to listen to and then clean for the length of that album oh, every up. day. And like that actually worked very well. I did get a lot fixed mm-hmm. and I started to feel in control of things. And then for some reason I stopped because you know how I hate making real progress. And then, (laughs) and then I moved, which obviously everything's a cluttered mess in boxes. So it's, uh, just gotta, I'm going to do that again. See if that helps. Honestly, a cleaner environment will help clear my head anyway. So that should have compounding effects that will help me do the next thing.
0: Yeah. Musical Pomodoro technique.
1: I haven't thought to do that before, but that's a good idea. It's really it's really fun because I'll be like, man, I haven't listened to that that Mob Deep album in like yep. five years. I need to get that. And then I just and it's the only way for old me to discover new albums because I don't spend a lot of time listening to music. I do. I've been shuffling through my
0: liked playlist or my yeah, my liked songs in Spotify recently, and that's been bringing back memories. I'm like, oh man, I used to love Anne Berlin. Still do, but haven't listened to them in five years. So now I'm back to listening to Amberlin yeah. a bunch. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. You know, and just getting started. Like yesterday, we talked about, uh, you know, just getting started with like investing.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm uh, planning to do mm-hmm. shortly. I think just the the act of, of of starting it with a
0: small seed investment and knowing like I now have an investment is powerful.
1: Even if yeah, but what you can see put what in I could small. do, what I could do is come up with a get-rich-quick scheme over the weekend, <laughs> and then defeat alternate universe, Martin, who's been investing the whole time. Oh. You're going to need, like, a interdimensional portal gun. But if you can get that, it's then it, ju- it just great. might work. Who knows? But yeah, the, the answer will, in fact, to be accept disappointingly slow progress. Mm-hmm. Until eventually, it's, you know... I don't know, likably not slow. I don't. I don't know the opposite right now. I can't, I got <laughs> no words.
0: Well, uh, I think I'll move on to my next regret then, which actually has to do with investing. Nice. So um, I have a regret that has to do with an investing decision I made. Now, this I would love to be able to like tell this this very dramatic story, like oh, I ruined myself and now I have to fix. it. I didn't do that. I, I've had like a pretty solid, boring investing strategy for a very long time for most of my money. But then there's the other 1%. And with the other 1%, I have a regret that I think has a pretty useful lesson. So to set stage here, most of the investing I do is automated and it goes into stuff that's very boring. I have a portfolio of what are called index fund ETFs. And ETFs are basically just like index fund mutual funds, but they trade on exchange. So they, their price fluctuates throughout the day. Uh, anyway, it's very easy to buy into them. I use an app called M1 Finance and I just basically have it programmed to take a certain amount of money out of my bank account every month and it puts it into my portfolio based on the uh, allocations I have set up. So maybe I have like 30% going to Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund and 20% going to Vanguard, the small cap fund or whatever it is. So it's very boring. But when you look at the data over the past 100 years, almost everyone, including professional money managers, do not beat the stock market in aggregate. So, you know, maybe I gamble and pick a winning stock and beat it, but probably not. On the whole on long term, I need to know that you know I am not the genius. I'm probably not going to be the market. So 99% of my money just goes into that strategy. It's called uh, dollar cost averaging and I automate it so I don't even see it. With 1% though, I do allow myself to buy individual stocks that I believe in. And for the most part, I have a single individual stock I buy, which is Nintendo. My reasoning for buying Nintendo, which I think is a solid reason that anybody could have, is I believe in the company. I think that they're going places. I like what they're doing. You know, the Switch Pro is coming out. We got Breath of the Wild 2 coming out. They do all kinds of great stuff. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to invest in Nintendo. And every month I put a certain amount of money into Nintendo and it's done great. And then in 2021, I started paying a little too much attention to things that were happening in the stock market. And for some boneheaded reason, I sold... Like a thousand dollars worth of my Nintendo stock, and bought Tesla because Tesla was going to the moon and everyone's getting super excited memed. about it, and I got memed. Yeah. So the the regret is not necessarily that I bought Tesla and then lost a bunch of money because I did, but that even you know even me who was completely bought into the very boring, like Vanguard style robot, automated dollar cost, average index fund, even me who's been been doing that for 10 years can get excited, pay a little too much attention to the news and get swept up, which is what happened. And basically like trashed that thousand dollars because not only did I lose the money when Tesla crashed, but in selling my Nintendo stock, I had to pay capital gains tax on the gains. So needlessly eating into what could have been future gains by just leaving it there. And then, you know, putting it into something that ended up failing, but putting it into something because it was, because it was a hot thing, not because I really believed in it.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Whoops, you know, I guess
0: go. Yeah. Right. So, so my, my, uh, boring investing strategy for 99% of my money should have been my boring investing strategy for 100% of my strategy if you believe in it then invest in it on a regular basis and just let it do its thing you know yeah so i think my investing strategy is this and maybe not everyone agrees with me you know i mean this is like a relatively small amount of money and somebody could have been like fine you know i don't care gamble whatever. <laughs> but my thing is like, if, if I'm going to gamble, I'm going to gamble on things I control. So my own company, I'm willing to take risks. If you know, they're calculated because we have the ability to work and to you know, put our own effort in to make sure that a gamble works and pays out. Uh, yeah. Or a company where I maybe have like a stake and I have some kind of say. So standard, I own a piece of standard. I am not like, an employee i don't have like vast decision making ability and standard i'm also not someone who's there executing every day so like i'm I'm it's not like this company where i have a lot of true influence on what happens there but i am an owner i do have a say we have calls like my opinion is taken into consideration so like investing there is worth it for me But like with Tesla, it's just, it's basically just
1: gambling because I don't have any control over it. I'm just like, I hope it goes up. And like, I feel like any decision and I I don't do any of this, you know, I don't know anything, but getting all excited because of stuff that's being on the news. I feel like by the time you've seen it as a person who wasn't already looking into it, aren't you like a half a step behind You are absolutely. It it feels like you shouldn't trust that the next step is the same one you just saw. It could. The news is just like telling you the boat you just missed, and you're hoping that it keeps doing what it. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's not that you've missed the boat once you've heard about it. I mean, you've missed the boat on those initial gains.
1: Oh no, not necessarily. You have the exact thing that just happened. Yeah. Like, look, it just doubled. That doesn't mean it's going to double tomorrow. That means that that's done. That part happened already. And it's so easy to find
0: examples that you can point out where you're like, well, that did happen. Like when people first started talking about the GameStop thing, it had gone from like 20 bucks to uh, 50 yeah, or something that like ridiculous. that. And it's like, cool, I could have dumped all my money into that and then waited till it went up to 350 and then sold. Like, wouldn't that been great? But you just you never know. You literally never know. And uh, yeah. you are right that like the smart money usually gets in first before anybody hears about it. And by the time you hear about it, a lot of those gains have already been made and you're buying in. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a commonly held thing in investing where it's, it's called a greater fool theory. Like a lot of people, when they're buying into a stock that's already going up a lot, they're not necessarily buying into it because they think the fundamentals are great or even they probably don't even know what the fundamentals are. All they're thinking is, mm. I think this is going to keep going up and somewhere down the line, I can sell it to a greater fool at a higher price. And that greater fool may sell it to an even greater fool down the line and this is how mania start like tulip mania back in the 1600s in holland or i guess it's the netherlands not holland i think it was holland back then people were selling these tulip bulbs for sometimes like the price of an entire house and you know it's it's quite it rational pretty it's quite rational on the individual level cuz you don't have like a guy who's like this tulip bulb is truly you know objectively in terms of tangible value and utility worth what my house cost. No one's thinking that, but they are thinking, look, people are getting excited about this on the aggregate. I could buy this and tomorrow I could sell it to some other schmuck for double what I paid. And then you take that psychology on a mass scale. And that's how you get these crazy manias. That's how you get huge runs up on stock prices. It's all hype. Yeah. It's very easy to to get question.
1: Am I the last one? Am I the last fool? Because I very well might be.
0: Yeah. And yeah. That's- and the problem is there are a lot of last fools. I mean, it, you think about the the entire economics of stock prices going up. It's The price goes up because there's a lot of demand pressure on it. So if it's going way, way, way up, that means there's a ton of demand pressure on there. So a lot of people are trying to buy it, price keeps going up, and a lot of suckers are going to end up losing out at the end of it. So My philosophy now, if I don't control the investment in some way, if I have no influence other than me putting the money in, then stick to my guns for the most part, you know, and I'm I'm happy that I I didn't dedicate a lot more money to this. A lot more people like YOLO'd a lot of money on GameStop and ruined their lives or did it on Bitcoin or whatever it is. For me, it was like insignificant in terms of the actual portfolio value, but it's still like, it still hurts. It still hurts to like done it gotten stung and realized like, yeah, you should have, you should have seen that coming. Just you, like you told yourself you can't and be smart. And, yeah, exactly. So take the L learn from it. Keep the smart stands for learn.
1: Strategy. Wow. Let's make some sort of like corny video based off. That video. <laughs>
0: take the L it's called L for learn. There you go.
1: Yeah, so That feels like yeah. we could do like almost a schoolhouse rock style thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, probably terrible. Anyway, so, that's my future regret. There yeah, doing that, doing that rap song right there. Yeah. So,
0: um, you know, I've got a a series of videos I'm working on to teach the basics of investing that I've got coming out soon. Um the I guess like the gist here what I do and what I would do if you're just getting in is um number 1, like investing should probably be done in a retirement account first. The gains you make on the tax advantaged accounts that you can't tap till retirement are just incredibly good versus regular ones. So that's why yesterday I was telling you, um, if you can afford to put in 500 instead of 100 on M1, you could do the Roth IRA. And then you're not- is that like a minimum. Yeah. I think currency. on M1, it's like their IRA accounts require a minimum investment of 500. And then they're just the regular ones are 100. Uh, you could also just go over to fidelity and open up just anything for like almost no minimum investment. Um, I just like M1 because they make it so freaking easy to auto-invest and they are free. Mm -hmm. It's like the best platform. But yeah, if if you could do that, like just set up a reasonable portfolio. If you're young, like most of mine goes into pretty much just the index funds, like Vanguard total stock, and then set up an automatic monthly investment. And don't look at it. Just (laughs) let it do its thing and then, yeah, you're not supposed to wh-
1: check it like social media feed
0: yeah don't check that's the thing i don't like about all i these got new- two
1: dollars today
0: yeah these new personal finance apps like a lot of them are like trying to make you log in like sofi i mean like they offer a good set of features but then they give you points for logging in every day Why? Because they're incentivizing you to log in and see something like, oh, Tesla's going up, or oh, Graham Stephan's portfolio went up. I better follow his trades. They're incentivizing you to get in there and 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 get into the activity, and then hopefully get into the products that actually make them money, like margin trading, things like that. Really, the smart way is just to set up a, a a solid strategy, and set up an automated way to do it, and then let it let it just do its thing. Go off and create value in your life in other ways. And just let the system work for you. Now, I remember the people telling me this when I was a teenager, you're just going to invest and you'll, you'll wake up one day when you're 60 and you'll see this amazing balance. You know, I'm not 60 yet, but I started investing when I was 19 years old and I'm 30 now. And it's pretty freaking cool to be able to log in and see the progress over uh, 11 years. Pretty freaking cool. So And uh, I know that 11 years is is not even close to the real tipping point. I forget the math. And the math changes based on the percentage, you know, your average gains over time and how much you're putting in. But uh, if you use one of those like compound interest uh, calculators and you say like, let's do 50 years or 40 years investing, there is a tipping point somewhere along the graph where your uh, gains from your investments start to eclipse the amount that you're putting in. So for, you know, for a lot of it, for maybe 20 years, let's say, for example, I'm putting in more each year than I'm earning off of my, my gains. But at a certain point, that flips. And so the real name of the game is just investing with a solid strategy for long enough so you get to that point where things flip and now your money truly is working for you. It's magic. It's... uh Uh-oh, it's magic. Anywho, what's your next one, my dude?
1: Mambo number three (laughs) is letting the internet make me feel powerless. Mm. Obviously, this is... um, So, this is... A bit of it is pointless and obviously fixable. But within the last few years, I had a bit of a problem with a lot of doom scrolling this may seem understandable to anyone who has been aware of anything at all happening on planet earth for a while. Um, So part of the issue is obvious. I get stuck in a loop. You know, I'll keep refreshing the same pages. I'll close Twitter on my browser. I'll open it up on my phone. I'll just, the stupid internet addiction things. But also, and I think this is the worst part. A lot of the most widely spread things are naturally extreme due to the nature of, you know, the attention economy, the internet valuing the shocking often over the useful. So if I see like some crazy, just horrendous murder that happened like across the country, there's not really any tangible, useful reason for me to even know that that ever happened. It just makes me feel bad and nothing else. And that's all that the news, that's all that the internet cares is that I looked at it because I was like, oh God, that's terrible. But I can do literally nothing. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: just hurts. Um, And it's like a weird one-off thing too. You know, it's not like I can't do much there. But since doom scrolling is often showing me things I can't do much about directly, I get used to the idea that I will feel powerless and like an innocent bystander. And I think that that is a bit of an insidious side effect because Mm -hmm. uh, I think if we get too used to feeling powerless... We might not take action even when we could do something because we're just we're just yeah. used to it we We see a barrage of bad news every day that we usually can't do anything about, so we don't notice when we can and uh, I'd like to spend more time in my thirties focusing on things that I can do hmm. that might help people in, in the community or at large through cool nonprofits any anything useful I can provide in any way that I actually can do rather than sort of compulsively feeling bad because I feel obligated to know about every horrendous thing that happened in every excruciating detail. You know, like staying informed is noble, but it's not useful if I exclusively use it as a weapon to attack my own brain with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's another insidious thing about the news and social media.
0: It, It robs your time because you see these really sensationalist things and it's hard not to get sucked into them. And then there are a lot of things, especially in your local community that you just never hear about. But those are the things
1: where you do have the ability to make a change or have some kind of influence. Yeah, like my my greatest ability to affect change is probably for things I didn't hear about. Mm-hmm. And then sure, there, there are things of like national and mainstream media importance that I can maybe do something for, donating to some cause, paying attention to something. But a lot of it is just stuff I can I cannot help the crazy murder case that happens in Maine because of some. Bre- I don't know these people. It's done. It's already happened. It's like, you know, what am I going to do? That's literally just teaching me that. Get used to being sad and then doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the the starting point for that is spending less time on either the yeah, internet that's itself. The plan or or these platforms that are designed to get you sucked into the really sensationalist stuff yeah you know i mean maybe i don't think the internet is the problem oh no this a is lot just of a lot of the natural of,
1: are a problem like if you reward things that get attention which seems like a reasonable way to run a website because that's mm-hmm. what people are wanting to see but people want to see things that are just surprising so sometimes yeah it's not useful it's just surprising so i feel like i want to i want to cut back on a lot of the internet thing i want to stay up to date but a reasonable amount you know like maybe i check in once every day or two you know if i have to do it frequently because am i really going to get brand new news at 6 p.m. that i couldn't have just seen the next <laughs> morning like mm-hmm. is there a reason to check again and and then i do want to get more involved in local things and pay more attention to nonprofits and do cool things like that 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 remind me Hey, you can take small actions that matter. It's not all stuff that you can't do anything about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that your third one or have you done all yours?
1: Yeah, that's number 3.
0: Oh, cool. All right, well, my last one, uh I regret not taking more breaks and uh and, right. and actual vacations. So the the context here for people who maybe don't have the ability to go take a vacation right now, is due to the way my work works, I absolutely know that I have the ability to take a vacation. We said it already, like if we really buckle down and work three weeks out of the month, we could take the other month off and go somewhere as an ability. The problem is, every time I I look back over the last 10 years, and I have been running my own business for the last 10 years, every time it, the opportunity or the idea of like, hey, let's go take a pure vacation comes up. My brain goes, nope, you can't do that. You got too much to do. You got to do this, this, this videos, dude. This thing you got to do, you got to record. You can't do it. You have too much to do. Sorry, but when business trips came up, the opportunity to go to like a VidCon or um, Dave's like, hey, these creators are in New York City and you know they want to film a collab thing. Like, that's not work I plan to do. It's not anything I had a deadline on, but you know, I jumped at the chance for that. So I realized that like, I think it's, it's an issue of prioritization, but I would jump at the chance to do something that was like a business thing and still put my normal work on hold, but wouldn't let myself do that for vacations. Even though I do enjoy vacations, it's not like I hate going on vacation or hate taking a break or hate taking a day off. But for whatever reason that like idea of taking actual time off, there's just like a ton of, I guess, guilt there that stops me from doing it. And it's this very insidious thing where I think, well, you know, I could do that in a few months. I always like mentally fast forward and assume that my calendar, like a, a month or two from now is basically empty. But then like, you have to realize that's what you were doing two months ago about now. And of course the calendar isn't empty now because you find things to fill it with. There's always someone emailing like, Hey, you know, can we grab, can we jump on a call to talk about this, this, or this, or, you know, I'll wake up and I'm like, I, I-, I perceive that I have some time today. I-, I think I'll go answer some comments in my comment section. Like there's always something due to my own choices that ends up filling my schedule. So if I were to just, you know, pre-commit like, all right, this week coming up ahead is vacation. Then I would, I would adjust my schedule around it. I would get my stuff done. It would absolutely happen. But yeah. there's, I guess there's just that, that guilt there where I'm just, I just go, I don't have time and didn't do it. And that went on and on and on for 10 years.
1: Yeah. I and I would it like very it distinctly, not. Like we were always just like, why are you, you're, you're working again. This is another work trip. I thought you were just going for fun. And you're like, no, actually, there's this thing that I'm doing. Is secretly. And then the one time you like took a break, you came back super refreshed. Yeah. And yeah, was, that was so, uh. Well, yeah. Why? Duh.
0: That was going to Hawaii. And yeah. oh, what was it? 2019, I think. Yeah, the summer of 2019. About, like,
1: lizards, you know? If you're I talking did, about lizards, you were obviously refreshed. Yeah, I had to do a little bit of work on that trip because
0: um, I think it was, uh, it might have been right as Tony had moved to Denver and he was working on a video and it was pretty ambitious. So I, I had to like look through his edits basically a couple of times and then publish it. But other than that, I think it was like one morning of work. It was like two weeks of just not work. And that was amazing. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that, I kind of came away from that with was I I was super burned out before I did that. And I had gotten to the point where I was like cynical about new ideas. If I had a new idea or if someone brought me a new idea, I think I don't have time for that. Can't do it. I got too much crap to do. And then I took the break. And it's not like I didn't have as much stuff to do on the other side of the break. But because I took the break, it was like a mental reset. And I started getting excited for new ideas again. So we really do need breaks. And we have this culture where it's like work, work, work all the time, either because of guilt or cultural upbringing or a lot in my case is like being on the Internet too much and looking at other people who I see as peers or who I look up to. And then like, well, they're doing way more or publishing all the time or whatever it is. And then I feel, you know, more guilt or I feel like you did where I feel like I have to catch up. Yeah. So then I'll never take a break. And uh, turning 30 is is a very good reflection point because you always know this, but, you know, turning 30 is like a very powerful reminder that you're going to turn 40 and then 50. And then sixty, and eventually hundred and fifty, yeah. and you're gonna go. Where did all the time go? Wish I would yeah, have taken some of it to just day, enjoy over life and
1: over. Just <laughs> stressing out. Yeah, stress is not a great daily routine. No, if it I had is not. To choose one.
0: No, it is not. Yeah, and uh, you know, like Anna's wanted to go to Europe for many years, and we never did. So yeah. we were going to last year, we were going to actually make the, the commitment
1: to do it. And then yeah. something There's, happened. There it is. You can't put it off because you can't trust <laughs> earth to let you do it later. You don't know.
0: That's true. Yeah. So, uh, you
1: know, once we
0: can do it, we're going to do it. Actually schedule some time. Yeah. It's hard. It's tough now. Cause like now I'm like, I'm 30, I'm doing this self-reflection. I would absolutely go to Hawaii. And Anna's like, yeah, well, good for you, but the entire world closed for a year and all my conventions that I signed up for got pushed a (laughs) year and now they're all happening. So I'm basically like gone every other weekend selling my art all around the country until December. So we may not have much opportunity to travel together for a while. That's okay. Now I just know like, yep, this is something that you need to prioritize. Take a break every once in a while. Because not only do you deserve it, but the presence of a break on your schedule creates useful pressure that will get you to get your stuff done more effectively. Yeah.
1: I should do some. I should do that soon.
0: We've talked about this in the smaller scale too. The uh the uh high concentrated fun where you're like, yes, I am gonna be done with work at 5 p.m. because I'm meeting my friends at Top Golf. cool, so I gotta get my stuff done by then. Can I take this opportunity to check Twitter? Nope. Can I uh, dink around on this stupid animation that I didn't plan on having in the video, but you know, I would normally perceive that I've got time for it because I would just work till midnight? Nope, triage, prioritize, get the work done. <sighs> yeah. What's your last one, sir?
1: Well, number four, number four, not being a person of action. And, uh, this has been a particularly strong theme for me this year. It's a specific goal I set for myself around my birthday in January. Actually, I, w- I want to be a Martin of action instead of hesitating on everything, which has cost me greatly. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly consistent with what I want out of my life. I say the same things over and over. And I realize I've been saying them for years now. So that's upsetting because I just, I want to work on music and my art and travel more frequently and spend time outside and be healthy and meditate and give back to the community and my family. Like I say the same things over and over and over and over and over. I have not really changed what I want out of life in years, but I don't feel particularly successful at any of them. And, um, you know, some of that could just be self-esteem things, but I genuinely think I have not been taking a lot of action on these things. No. I always feel overwhelmed and I don't think it's the right time to do the important things. Like I can do this later. Like you were saying, like, uh, in Denver, I wanted to hike all the time, but I would always find a reason every weekend as to why I actually am supposed to be cleaning or I'm supposed to be working somehow, which I then didn't actually do on the weekend anyway, because I don't wanna do those things on the weekend. Yeah, I just like, so then I just sort of sit around feeling guilty and also not living (laughs) the life I wanted, even as it was right in front of me, Mm -hmm. you know? And this is sort of a, just a thing I've done with a lot of things. It's not, you know, if now isn't the time to do the important things, When is exactly? And why is it ever the time to do the unimportant things? I'm not sure why I would do that. Um, And obviously the whole being 30 thing, it comes with a little bit of an existential crisis, uh, you know, so maybe this is a little morbid, but I want to live a life worth dying for. That's, if I'm not going to try to do that, what am I even, what am I even doing? I'm just sitting around, you know?
0: Yeah. I would like to be a Martin of
1: action as well. Yeah, it's an exclusive club. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's very easy to think I've got all this time ahead of me. So right now it's fine
1: if I just dink around. But you're right, just wasting. I'm just wasting the time saying this is what I want. It's right in front of me. I literally could grab it. Nothing is stopping me but myself in this case, you know, and sometimes you're going to have actual obstacles that are harder than that to solve. That that makes sense. But the things I want are all literally within my grasp at this point at 30. And I'm just not grabbing them for just no reason. So, What's going to help you start taking more action? Because
0: it's really easy to think about this. And you know it might seem like it's got a lot of gravitas because we're talking about it right now. But you probably think about this to yourself a lot.
1: So oh, what's yeah. going yeah, to push you to actually start a- doing these things? A little bit. I think one thing is somewhat ironically maybe uh i've been considering cutting back on how much art i share so i've been i've been doing pixel art and and i want to do more music i've done a little bit but i have the next one almost done and then um the photos cuz i when i was first doing photography i could share photos at, at an alarmingly high rate i went daily for like 6 months and now i'm thinking maybe i just do something Like once a week, not only to keep me off Instagram for the most part, because, you know, everyone, including the people looking at my stuff, deserves a break from Instagram, but also because now it is realistic to me to think that the photos I share, I want to go to a new location. I want to go make it like a sort of a log of exploring somewhere cool where it's, I've been sharing like multiple at a time, the little swipe over photos instead of milking it for a week. So now it's like, I want to go to a new location every other week. And that actually seems doable to me and is a schedule that I think I can keep sort of Hmm. for the foreseeable future. I, I think the thing that's going to help me take action and finally explore nature is lowering the expectation of how often I can actually do that. Because I simply, I don't know that I can go every week. That's actually maybe not reasonable all the time. But now yep. it's going to be photos theoretically every other week. And I actually think I could go somewhere cool at least twice a month. And there's no good reason for me not to. And that yep. is about 20 places per year more than I was doing in Denver. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of places to you know, like, go in Denver. Yeah, there are a lot of places and I did not go to many of them. And one of my very most memorable days from the whole four years there was this this last fall where we finally went up to Breckenridge and we hung out on a hill with aspens on it. We just <laughs> hung out on a hill. I took photos walking around. She sat there and sketched things. It's one of the most memorable days. We weren't even at a park or anything. We were literally just on a random hill with trees on it. Yeah. And I just, I could have done that over and over but I didn't do it. So I've set an expectation of doing some cool little mini adventure like thing just twice a month. And I think I can actually stick to that. So it feels more motivating than before where it was a nebulous constant. Like, can I just always be outside? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I can actually accomplish that. But yeah. It's good to plan it.
0: Um my friend Charles and I ended up going to a lot of a uh, mountain biking days last summer. And I think it's we kind of had it like planned out in advance. Hey, okay, we're going yeah. on Monday. Cool. So I will yeah, schedule everything schedule else around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just a lot of friction involved in doing something like that. Uh, and so I think when we plan, we can mentally get past the friction in advance. That actually reminds me of another good line from the dip um, he was saying like, if you're going to run a marathon, you need to decide in advance when you would quit. Like, don't let the fact that your feet are aching on miles 19 be the thing that causes you to quit. Know in advance, like what would cause me to quit this. And in having that decision made beforehand, well, number one, you may have actually thought up some things that, okay, here's what I might do. If I start to feel pain or if I start to get really tired instead of quitting. But by making a decision beforehand, when, when something else comes up that sucks, you can think back to, well, I already decided what would make me quit. And this isn't it. So as long as it's not forcing me to quit, I'm not going to quit. And it's just, I don't know. It's e- it's easier when you pre-commit. It's like you've made a deal with your past self
1: and now you got to up and uphold your end of the deal. Yeah. It's useful. Yeah. And I genuinely think that the sharing of my photos does help me to some degree, as long as I don't, you know, before when I was sharing separate photos, it was sort of, yeah, but maybe today I could get like 30 good photos and now I don't have to go anywhere for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking that away. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a schedule, but it's. Mm-hmm reasonable enough that i know i'm not going to quit it because i get sick once like i'll still be able to maintain it
0: yeah so you know we've gone through these regrets um one pattern that i noticed especially with yours is like they have to do with repeat decisions that kind of go on and on and on and on um a couple of mine were like that as well a couple of mine were also like i did this one thing and i regret doing that thing I think it's also useful to recognize here that you've done a lot of good stuff in the last 10 years. Uh, I don't remember most of those. That doesn't count. Well, you did. You asked your girlfriend to marry you and she said, yes. Hey, that was the first thing I thought of. You helped me build this great company. Done a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking about that stuff myself as well. Like I'm pretty proud of a lot of things too. I've got regrets, but I'm, yeah, I think on, on the whole, I have more to be proud of. And for anybody listening to this and you know, thinking about your own regrets, don't forget to think about the things you're proud of, too. It's very easy to dwell on the things we regret, but we need to remind ourselves, like, no, we've done good things, too.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll think, think about of my those. Top, I'll think of my four favorite things I did in the last 10 years. So. There we go. Let's do an That'll episode where we me. brag about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I bought a Ferrari. Probably. I
0: didn't. That's <laughs> not, I didn't do that. I woke up in a new Bugatti. Didn't do that. Don't really have any desire to do
1: that either. I don't Well, I would be alarmed. Is it yeah. even mine? It's probably know. not
0: mine. I think I must've accidentally um, stolen it or I've been kidnapped. Which, which seat I'm I Am I in?
1: Like driver's seat? I don't think I have, I don't think I have very cool braggy accomplishments but I did some things that were cool. You've made some pretty dang cool music. I saw the ocean. Photos,
0: art, saw the ocean. You done a lot of cool things. And help me run this podcast for, in your oh, case, yeah, I think
1: seven years. Many, many episodes. Yep. Many episodes. Done a lot of
0: good work and we're going to continue doing a lot of good work. I'm excited for the videos we're going to be publishing on the main channel. Um, I'm excited to get that investing series going. I like personal finance, as you probably can tell when I talk about it. So I want to bring more of that into my channel. I think that's going to be helpful for my audience who is graduating college, joining the professional yeah. world, figuring out adult life. I'm excited for that. Excited for the stuff that we're doing with Standard. All kinds of really cool things coming up in the future. So Music. if you're listening to this, think about the things you got going on. Think about you know the things you're proud of as well. The regrets are things we can learn from, not things to simply feel guilty about. <laughs> I just keep thinking about that stupid take
1: the L. Yeah.
0: L is for learning. It, it does. So it cheesy. seems like such a, like, so yeah, it
1: seems like it's so lame.
0: But also, it's probably the title of a best selling productivity book you could write Take Problem. the L Learning to Turn Regret. Into action.
1: I don't, I don't <laughs> want to write this book. I, I you sure? am going to instead of that, I'm going to do every other activity that I was already planning to do.
0: That's fair. All right. Well, uh, show notes for this episode are going to be over at theinforium.com slash 23, or you can subscribe over at theinforium.com. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, we are going to be ending this show after our our 25th episode here, which is actually our 325th episode because we renamed the podcast and restarted the numbering. So we've been doing this for quite a long time, Uh, but you still may want to subscribe, especially if you're new here. There's a lot of great stuff in the back catalog. We've if there's a topic around learning or academics or college, we almost certainly covered it during the college Info Geek podcast days. And there's a lot of great episodes about living a better life in adulthood as well. I'm excited for this to be something that stands the test of time. I don't think we did a lot of stuff that was, you know, super temporal. It's going to be a good archive. And that's, that's something that I've always looked for in the work that I do is, you know, I want to build something that, I can leave and I can let it stand the test of time and stand on its own and be useful even after I'm done with it. That's why I like making videos instead of speaking on stage for the most part. You know, speaking on stage is fun. But when I make a video, I've made a thing. Now it can go out and live its life. and People can discover it over time. It's a good feeling. Uh, yeah. Anywho, that's the end of this episode. So as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us and we will see you in the next one. Thank you.